You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with M. M. Thanks so much for being with me today. Hi, um, and and thank you, and whatever. <laughs> Quite literally, so it's great um, to be here. Yes, it's it's um it's an unusual time. We're talking, of course, on March fifteenth in twenty twenty two. Uh, let's just jump right into your work. What are you working on now, and um, and, and where are you? I am um, currently working on a piece that I began what feels like maybe seven years ago, and um, it's just beginning to see sort of a a place where I can stop and edit the thing into a hole. And um, literally, I'm looking out into this huge expanse of a space um, in my studio at the Elizabeth Foundation over on 39th Street. And I'm facing north, so I, I get the police station below me and then the um, Port Authority parking lot and the McGraw-Hill building where uh, the first comics were made, you know. And at right. any rate, it's just this huge, huge space, and that is um, very much part of my practice. <laughs> So um, basically um, what I've been doing is uh, coming to this space um, as, as much as I can. And when I get here, um, insisting that I attempt to achieve presence. And it may take all day. <laughs> and today was a tough one, right? It was a really shitty start. <laughs> And um, so when I got here, I thought, holy fuck, what am I going to possibly do um, to get myself kind of, you know, more than just cracking your um, your neck, you know? Um, and eventually it, it worked. You know, I, I fed the pigeons and uh, they started cooing. And the expanse of the space... Wait, wait, what pigeons did you feed? I'm curious. The, pige- the pigeons oh. outside your window? Yeah, the um, on the roof every summer, pigeons have a nest somewhere up there. So I've gotten used to them swooping back and forth into the expanse. That's where the fledglings learn to fly. And um, I used to always think, well, you know, if my consciousness levels are that raised by this space, they should be able to sense me, you know. But after a while, I began I, to realize I was the one that had to sense them. And so... Um, We've just sort of taken off from there. They, there's a little ledge outside my window, and I feed them um, orange lentils, and I have some chickpeas, which they're so-so about, you know. And um, they've come to this ledge now. One of them hops up on the ledge and will tap on it, and, and then I have to get up and feed them, or they'll drive me crazy. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's funny about pigeons. There's something about them. They're um, domestic creatures. You know, they're all feral. So mm-hmm. they have this innate ability, in my opinion, to hook up somehow with what I sense to be um, the pineal gland. There's some sort of vibration happening there. It's really fascinating. That's kind of interesting. I, yeah, I read a, a biography of Tesla, and you know, she was living 
in a, in a hotel, not that far from you, actually, um, in Midtown, in New Yorker Hotel, and uh, right. yeah, he fed commit he fed pigeons and and talked a lot about about communicating with them and one in particular. And you know, while people think he was he was kind of um, losing it, then it's 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 not clear. He was he was doing a lot of listening to outer space yep. sounds through different listening devices, and and it seemed plausible. Uh, yeah, to yeah. make those kinds of discoveries, he had to really be able to be way out there, present, and to lasso it back in to grounding and interpret into, well, for him it was, was numbers. He had this innate ability to understand everything numerically, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's some sort of vibration going on with him. And he and this white pigeon were, like, really close that pigeon was right at the window after he died. Wouldn't leave, you know? They spent a lot of time together. Yeah, I've slept in the room next to his uh, once just to sense where the sun rose and how it set. And uh, the kind wow, of you, wait, 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 wait. So you, you, you slept in the room next to where Tesla was <laughs> staying in the hotel? Yeah, where he died. And 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 and, and where, where was that? Because I, I briefly mentioned that, but I read that biography a while ago. That was in the New Yorker yeah. Hotel. Yeah, it but that's was not in where the Elizabeth Foundation hotel. is. It wasn't. No, no, but that's I, not I where. Just, yeah, I passed there. Um, what's really interesting is where I live. Um, one block down is the Radio Wave Building, and that's where he worked. So he and I crossed the same path. We, <laughs> it's odd, but there's this parallel where I'm a block away from where he worked when I get up. And I walk past New Yorker Hotel and go north here. And uh, there are times when I go and <laughs> I just sit in the lobby um, and look at the chandelier. And if you go up to the second floor, it's a really grand ballroom. And the space is unique. So when you sleep there, it's so sound. The concrete is just so dense that your body just falls right into it. And you go into this very, very deep, deep relaxing, you know, relaxation. It's, it's a great space. I'm really extremely spatially oriented. And I'm very... So, so tell me a little bit more about that. This is a little bit of a tangent, but very interesting if you yeah. want to go on it. So you, so you went and, and rented the room and stayed in the room that was next yeah. to where Tesla, Tesla's room wasn't available? Right. It was not. <laughs> um, actually, neither one was. But um, I, once they put me in my room, which was huge, I um, snuck upstairs and just to look at his room. And right next to it, they, they were cleaning the room. And so I asked if I could have it. And they put me in there. I, I was there because I'm noise sensitive, and um, they were filming in, in our in our in our place where we live. And so I could just I really needed to sleep, so I checked in there. And um, I, I had kind of always wanted to anyway, and I spent the night just kind of sharpening my awareness to his frequencies in a way by being in, in the same environment. You know, the bathtub was the same. The sink fi- fixtures there are the same. 
So you really get a sense of someone by sharing their their place, especially because he died there. It's his last resonance took off in that space, and I find that really fascinating. You know, sometimes I think that the rooms we leave always contain something of the vibration we had when we were in it. And those of us that are sensitive are able to step into rooms and, and read those vibrations that were left. So um, it was sort of for those kinds of, I guess you'd say physical reasons I wanted to be there so that I could tune my body. And, um, and, and, how, and how was that? I'd love to talk more about that. So that is still a working hotel. Um. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, you know, it's really funny because I always love these convergences that happen cerebrally. So we're talking about like, one of my favorite topics, and I have a good number now all gathered that I think are part of this, what I call um, sort of like a consciousness project, you know? Um, and I, I, I love the New Yorker hotel story and alignment with, 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 with Tesla's story. And so right when we were kind of like heading to that density, I guess, you know, the memory stored are kind of like a density when it comes to someone like that. I right. had these cards prepared, like little note cards, and suddenly had this trigger of a thought. You wrote something on the second to last card that will loop you back into the present from having kind of sensed a pre-present. So I grab the card, and this is what it says. I don't feel what my body doesn't know. So to get back to Tesla then, right? It's like to really know him for me means to um, frequent places where he was, know certain mental habits. He was a numerologist. And I also sort of, like, I, today's a six. <laughs> I every day know it. I do really well on ones and elevens. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, he used to walk a pattern of times around this building and that before he'd go in. You know, things like that. All about the frequency, you know. And, and why he, Tesla? So, 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 so why such interest in Tesla um, for, for you and, and, and your work? Because it gets back to this. I don't feel what my body doesn't know. My, my training's all in the th third dimension. I'm a sculptor. And so, you know, the thing you're in is always a little bit of what you're not yet in. And for me, the not yet of three-dimensional sculpture is consciousness itself. Five and upwards dimensions that um, different practitioners sort of delve into, you know, like Salinger and the, and the uh, bunker, right? And right. Tesla managed to do that, and he also managed to be bit social, which is really unusual. I, I'm really an introvert. And so I, when I look at him, it's amazing that he was able to go out to these, I mean, he had to in order to get money, but that he could go to these dinner parties, you know? He'd always warn, you know, don't... Um, don't socialize with uh, women that wear diamonds. And not diamonds, pearls. He had a thing against pearls. And I think it was really about the women who wore them. 
I'm wondering if he would have preferred a man in pearls, for example, or, you know, non-binary in pearls. But, you know, it was too early for sensitives to come out with such um, particular um, understandings of the physicality of, of, of gender and sexuality and identity in that, in that fashion. At least that's my, my take on it, you know. Uh, so I interpret what I know of him through my own um, gender fluid and gender queer and trans identified uh, sensibility, which I think now is um, in all humility and the place to be in our culture. Trans identifieds are amazingly creative right now. So, um, you know, I have bad days, really bad ones, and then when I get here, the brain sort of kicks in. You know, on good days, um, I have an old clock, and on good days, out of the blue, it will start ticking. <laughs> the other day, I had a friend over for the first, the second visit since COVID in person with no mask. I've had mass visits. And, um, you know, things got right to this point where I was there, present, fully present with a visitor. And uh, the clock uh, started ticking, and it rang maybe six times. And I thought, yep, yep, everything's, everything's all aligned. Of course, the pigeons were here and cooing. It's ideal. What more could one ask for, right? So my Absolutely. task is ideal. Yeah, go ahead. And you said you were picking up with a project that you started several years ago. Um, and and yeah. what is that, that you're continuing, or what is the current generation of that? Well, the way the way it started was I had just gotten back from a trip to Vietnam, and a year before that, a trip to Ireland. And um, with Vietnam, um, well, there was a lot there, uh, things in the trees, like, and we we flew into the north part of Vietnam. And um, the first thing I noticed was the, the trees were just full of vibrations. I just couldn't get over it. And so um, I started noticing people would put incense in the trees. And, you know, um, I found horses in the trees. And there's stories to all of this, right? And eventually people were able to guide me into the significance of the vibrations I was picking up on in the trees. So there were things like that. And when I got back, um, I had sort of visitations from, I went with a writer friend. Her name is Barbara Tran. She, she's, well, I won't get into an introduction. You can look her up online. But um, we were sort of investigating something there together. Um, it was a story that she had written. She wasn't sure what it was, so we went there to figure out what it was. And when I got back, her father was paying visitations, and I had only met her father when he was already dead in a casket, you know. But um, I became quite, like, convinced that he was um, wanting to share some information with me. So finally, I just gave him a solid week. You know, this went on for a long time. I mean, I was, went to the opera with a composer friend. Um, and when Greg and I got out, he wanted some chocolate mousse. And as they were ladling on whatever it is they pour on top of it, 
um, the candles started dancing and it's a long story but his psychic had died and the other was present and we both became really aware of these presences but finally I just said look you know the next solid week every waking minute's yours let me know and yeah he just let me know this stuff and that was the end I never never heard from him again so I was like what am I going to do with all of this and part of me said I'm distanced this is my friend's family why am I getting so close to them why is it me you know uh, I usually just do futures. So at any rate, um, I started thinking, you know, for the artwork part of this, the collaboration, honing this down to a, me- a meaning of sorts. Um, what's personal? How do I make this personal? You know? Right. And so I had a huge nightmare. And the nightmare, I went into great detail writing about and a week later, the Pulse Massacre happened. And the vision of the nightmare um, overlapped with, with very quite decently with what had happened there. So at that point, I started getting interested in um, trauma, triggers, and healing. And I asked myself, how can I use my artistic practice? It's not really artistic. I think I call it um, understanding creative process you know it's diagrammatic in nature you know in that kind of conceptual direction and I thought how can I use this um, traumatic experience that was triggering uh, the younger ones in the GLPTIQGNC population and into pretty severe traumatic reactions you know what can I do to bring bring us back to consciousness to the life energy to the core essence of, of love when you get right down to it. But I mean that materialistically, because as I said, I, I don't feel what my body doesn't know. So everything I have to understand, you know, that way through my work. And so what I've done in the last seven years is make an attempt to map out how I ex- experience consciousness in a more or less pure way here in my little birdhouse studio right and if I can make a diagram of that um, then I have iterations that I'm currently working on one is um, for people to sign up and come in and I will uh, give tours (laughs) Uh, so you can make an appointment and um, I'll give you a tour you know and I've very a tour of your studio or or, or it's like a performance yeah, you come in, and it's like a live performance here in my studio, which is a live stage. And then aspect two of it is I'm writing a performance slash play. I call them playishes. Just like the poems I write, I call them poemishes. Not quite a poem, you know? But um, every act I do, I don't really do anything particularly but sort of a copy of what it might be if it were a practice, right? So, um, yeah, then I make an installation anywhere of my studio. And it's a theater piece where you come and see it performed. And then I'm also working on a book. I call it the book. So, <laughs> and the book, the book isn't a, the book isn't a, 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 
bookish. It's it's a book. It's a book. And the book will be. Can we talk about the book at all? Do you want to mention what that is? Hmm. Yeah, it's like um, throughout the years now, seven years uh, in my practice, I paint, but I'm not a painter. Um, but I paint, and the viscosity of the paint is something about these frequencies. So um, I always start with lapis, and I have different types of lapis from different parts of the world at this point because they have different textures, and I'm really sensitive to those viscosities. So when I paint, then words come to mind, and I, I document them. And I have five typewriters, and each one has a different voice. And... The voices correspond to symbolic color frequencies, roughly um, non-photo blue, you know, the pencil that you used to edit mm-hmm. back in the day that we used cameras. And I use yes. a lot of analogies to photography in the old process because that's the old 3D in order to get into the digital, which is fifth dimension and plus. And that's, that's a different color scheme. And that's based on the pure light of consciousness, you know, related somewhat to Anahata Nanda in the Buddhist area. Clear light transparency, that kind of thing, you know. And the book is sort of a humble gesture of um, these collections of writings that have surfaced while I paint. And um, I'm currently sequencing them. I can give you one right here. It goes way back into prior lifetimes. It's sort of sure. like we divide into DNA, but we also have the frequency part. And for me, the frequency part is the thing that lights my heart into consciousness, less so than the DNA. And that's true of a lot of people that are gender fluid, trans-identified in that area, right? Our frequencies are also... I, I believe to be, um, well, at any rate, that's how I remember by the kind of frequency vibration of things. So I wrote this. Um, maybe it's around the Edo period. I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe I was a fish in love with a fisherman. Maybe I became a fisherman who loved a man and followed him here and became what is known as me now here. Throughout this lifetime, strangers ask me if I need help in knowing where I am going. I am not lost in the sense that there is no found, no foundness to being other than alive. Maybe I am always lost, a sea creature on dry land. Thank you. I like that. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that and, and everything and everything else. What, where will this writing go or this book go? Or will you have an exhibition or a way to share this next? I mean, you're already doing it through the performances, of course, and that people can um, book a time for. Is there other ways this will get out into the world? There is, and I'm sort of still thinking through that. You know, we're on the land of the Lenape people here in New York City, you know. And Lenape um, means the people. And learning the Lenape means 
regular people. So I always have to ask myself, is a gallery really a space for regular people? I'm not sure it is. So part of the problem is that um, I have to figure that out. Same thing like um, with books. The publishing industry is now so inundated with, with realities that they're playing crapshoots and guessing games with writers, you know? Unless, you know, you're like Ocean, you know? Ocean One, I, I think that he's able to really hit both frequencies, but it's really hard. So then I think, I don't know what I mean by book. Maybe it is a bookish, <laughs> right? I have to think of it as a book because... I sort of promised to get it done. Mm. Um, and Ocean's um, One, you mean what? what um, I, I imagine you're talking about the book Night Sky with Exit Wounds and he's written a Yeah, he a has a new one out. Yeah. And what has he done exactly? He's able to share a form of enlightenment that's of the people. Mm. And it's way more significant, in my opinion, than Salinger, you know? Mm. I think I think Ocean's able to do that. He's so humble about yeah, it. I, I think so, too. Really, really kind of extraordinary um, writer. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I was going to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment, which, which perhaps ties into this um, I'm reading the first of a three-volume set of writings by um, Kappa. What's his name? Hold on. Sankapa. J. Sankapa. And um, (laughs) it's it's quite mind-blowing. So I'm reading that, and um, I keep reading... um, Sula by Toni Morrison. I keep starting it again and again like a record. You don't want to end, so you keep lifting the needle and starting it again. It's just the way it's framed. It's it's so masterful. She just boggles the mind. So I'm reading her again and again. Sort of, and I'm reading a book about um, some Tibetan. women that are very gifted healers and what they live like, you know, how sensitive they are and what they have to do to sort of assure themselves that they can maintain their frequencies, you know, um, it's really fascinating. Um, I just got two photo books. I'm sort of reading those by just, Looking at the pictures, one is a new book out of uh, prints that had never been shown of Outer Bridges. There's mm-hmm. just something about his compositions and colors. And so I'm really grateful to have that. This Rally Press. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what I'm reading right now. I, I, my bedroom is like a stack of books everywhere where I read a little and put it down. You know, like um, the book, um, his last name starts with an R, the Italian physicist has been writing about 
physics in digestible ways. Save some time and all of this stuff. I read him out loud. Rovelli, I think his name is. I'm just bad with names. Well, thanks so much um, for talking with me today. I, I wish you well with your work, and I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.